This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're turning our attention to the state's process of determining the eligibility of New Yorkers on Medicaid to receive home care services, a process that has been undergoing a massive transition and is poised to impact more vulnerable New Yorkers in 2024. To discuss the plan changes, as well as reflect on the experience to date with the New York Independent Assessor Program, we're joined once again by Rebecca Antar Novik, Director of the Health Law Unit at the Legal Aid Society. Welcome. Welcome back to the show, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So for some background, stemming from a 2020 state law, the state decided in an attempt to realize efficiencies and save money, according to, I think, then Governor Cuomo, uh, to require Medicaid patients uh, obtain an independent assessment of their needs uh, before obtaining home care services. Uh, And the state contracted out the assessment program to a private company, Maximus. What was the old way of doing assessments, and how does that compare to the current process we have? Most people in New York who are on Medicaid and receiving home care are in a Medicaid-managed care plan. There are different types of plans that, that provide home care. And so most people have always had all their assessments done by that managed care plan. There are certain people who also receive home care directly through their county, and those individuals were evaluated by their county. When the program rolled out last year, to this point is still only doing initial assessments, so it's assessments for people who don't yet have home care. Um, And so the plans and the counties to this point have continued to do the reassessments for people who need to keep care, um, and that's what's going to change soon. So for people then who have been trying to get home care for the first time, they've had to go through this new assessment process? Yes, that's correct. And how, if at all, has that experience differed or the outcomes of the assessments, generally speaking, differed from the previous review process? Well, we've found that the process has been overall pretty confusing for consumers. There were some significant delays in the beginning, but I acknowledge that the timing of assessments has certainly gotten better over the last year and a half since this was rolled out. But what has continued to be a real challenge for consumers is how many steps they really need to go through and how many different entities that they're dealing with in order to get care. We found that overall, there really seems to be a delay from when people are initially requesting care to when they receive it. A a number of advocates have found that people are being assessed as needing less care than we believe they actually need or being assessed that they don't need care at all when we meet with the individual and, and look to potentially represent them on a case. It seems very, very clear that they meet the legal standard for receiving home care under Medicaid. One example of just the the difficulty of the process is that for people in mainstream Medicaid managed care, these are individuals who are getting all their health care from the Medicaid program and through their managed care plan. When they are going through this independent assessor process, they really need to ask for the care twice. They need to ask for the assessment. And then after the assessment happens, they then have to contact their plan to get services. And it's not really clear to individuals that they need to do this. And there are a lot of other ways in which there are multi-step processes through going through these assessments and different entities that have to be 
contacted and worked with by consumers. And we find that 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 causes delays. We really can only speak in anecdotes. And, you know, one challenge that advocates and, you know, I think a lot of the other entities who interact with this program are having is that we haven't seen a lot of data that would really help us to understand how this is really working for people. We've seen some data, um, you know, including on just the number of people assessed and things like that, but things like how long is it truly taking for somebody when, from when they ask for care to when they're receiving care, and what are the scores that people are getting that translate to how much care they're authorized for, and how does that compare to the old system? And this is data that we think would be very, very helpful to really understand the impact that this is having on consumers. Well, despite the ambiguity about the rollout so far and its impact on Medicaid patients, you mentioned that the state is planning to expand the number of New Yorkers who are subject to these independent assessments moving forward. Can you explain the schedule that is planned by state health care officials and kind of the scope of this expansion? Because I think, as you said, this is going to impact what the people who already receive services and, and, and they're checking on their status to continue receiving them? That's right. So starting in January of 2024, there's a gradual rollout where different people in different counties are going to start having to use the new system for reassessments month by month. Some people won't be impacted until later in 2024, but it depends on, on where in the state you live. And yes, as you said, first of all, when you're receiving Medicaid home care, you have to be reassessed once a year. And so for people who need uh, they're just their annual reassessment, it's now going to go through the independent assessor program, um, as well as people who need an assessment because they actually have a change of circumstances. These are called, it's the, the distinction is between routine reassessments and non-routine reassessments. And non-routine reassessments are for people who might have had to go into the hospital or into a rehabilitation facility um, because of a, a medical issue that came up, or just somebody who unfortunately is experiencing um, a decline in their condition and they need additional help. And so the rollout is going to impact both of these kinds of, of reassessments. So back at the end of October, the Legal Aid Society, along with some other partners representing consumers in, in the system, made some recommendations to the health department and the Medicaid director more specifically about the best way forward. First off, as we speak on November 2nd, have you gotten any response from the Hochul administration? We have not yet received a response. Yes, the, the letter was sent from the Medicaid Matters New York Coalition and a number of the organizations that make up that coalition. And we do routinely meet with the Department of Health on a number of consumer issues. So we've had discussions about the program, but have not received a response to the letter. So aside from postponing the expansion entirely, which is your number one recommendation uh, and one that I have to imagine is not something they're going to take you up on, what do you think are the meaningful changes that the state can implement in advance of the expansion rollout plan for 2024? We are recommending a postponement and then then also recommending that routine reassessments the ones that are just happening every year for somebody who may you know, very likely be in the same position that they were last year health-wise and in terms of their social circumstances, we're, 
we're recommending that that the states start with those routine reassessments, and only after that is um, in place, then moving on to to changing the process for non-routine reassessments because those non-routine reassessments are just so often more urgent. And we've also made recommendations about just just putting out more information about really what is a very confusing process that you know we're just recommending that detailed letters explaining all of these news procedures and and the steps that people have to take be sent out to impacted consumers. Um, we're also recommending improved training for um, the call center staff who are the ones who are receiving the inquiries from individuals and family members when they're requesting care. Over the year and a half that this program is, has been in effect, we've identified a number of, of instances of, of misinformation that that people have received in the call center, you know, which is understandable. It, it really is a very complicated system. And because people are calling it in different places in the process, it, it is a lot. It is complicated for a call center. And, you know, so we're recommending um, improved training now that those answering the phone at the call center are going to be facing even additional circumstances in which people are 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 calling. You know, as I've discussed, we're we're asking for for data. Um we um are really trying to understand how people who are in all different circumstances in terms of the type of plan they're in and in terms of whether they received a denial or an approval and are engaging in the process and potentially appealing through the process in different ways. We really are trying to understand what the um, overall situation is for consumers and how they're getting care. And finally, asking for additional guidance. We, you know, I had mentioned guidance for for consumers, but also for the the large number of additional entities, plans, the counties that are handling some home care medical providers, you know, we're we're just, you know, really asking for for, you know, detailed information to go out to all of these entities before the rollout begins. Well, finally, do you think that the independent assessor program is something that with the right tweaks and emphasis can be a successful and meaningful program both in terms of ensuring that people are getting the care they deserve while also saving the state some sort of money? Or do you think that this program is broken at at its core and should just be scrapped, either reverting back to the old way of doing things or making structural changes? I think that it is an extremely complicated program. And and in order to succeed, it, it really needs to you know, be slowed down in terms of um, in terms of its rollout. And again, it's sort of, you know, it's a little, I think, hard to answer, you know, whether it should go away entirely or or just be revised a lot without, you know, seeing the data as to what the impact is. I think that unfortunately, the the idea that this this program is going to succeed at saving money for the state is based on a premise that people are receiving care to which they're they shouldn't be entitled under the law and you know i'm you know one advocate uh, you know seeing you know a limited number of consumers but that's just absolutely not what i'm seeing i see many people who are getting a lot less care than than the the law would really entitle them to and i see people you know fighting for the care that we that you need i mean we've had you know we've had clients over months and months just 
running into many, many challenges, you know, getting through this, um, getting through the system when they clearly are entitled to care. And so, you, you know, it's hard, it's a little bit hard to say whether this program really ever could save money unless it's taking away care from people um, who are really, you know, who are really entitled to it. I think however, you know, this program is designed, it really needs to be focused around getting people through the system and getting people the information um, that they need to understand how to um, how to as quickly as possible get the care they need. And when there is a, um, a disagreement between the assessor and the individual about how much care, helping them get through um, appeals processes quicker so that they can, in fact, get what they need. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Rebecca Antarnovic, Director of the Health Law Unit at the Legal Aid Society. Rebecca, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.